Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Okay. Blessed is the man who doesn't do three things. Blessed. First off, let's look at that word. Blessed. Tell me about that word. Happy is a good translation, but specifically this is a kind of happiness that comes from the Lord, isn't it? Because what's the opposite of being blessed? Yeah. The opposite of being blessed is being cursed. So if I proclaim a blessing over you, I'm declaring something that I believe the Lord then will achieve toward you. So a patriarch, when he's old and on his deathbed, he'll put his hand on his kids' heads and he will proclaim blessings over them. It's not the same as just saying, hey, I hope you have a nice day, although that's, that's, a, that's a form of a blessing. But that's, we live in a modern secular culture that doesn't tend to inc- include Jesus in every single interaction. But you know goodbye is short for Goodbye is short for God be with you. It's a blessing. It's, 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 it's where you extend your hand and you make a prophetic declaration. So blessed is prophetic language of declaring almost like a prayer, but it's, it's more like a, it's spoken with an attitude of prayer, but it's a declaration of the other person. But the understanding is I'm going to bless you and God will actually do it. So this blessing here is, is, is a fascinating language. And then you, you actually does have a curse in here. And who's the man who's blessed? The whole psalm is a contrast between two men or two kinds of people. Not so the wicked. Right? So blessed is the righteous man. Cursed is the wicked man. And, and like it starts out by saying three things that the righteous man doesn't do. This is just, I'm just, we're just, we're just looking right through the psalm carefully. Right? Blessed is the man who doesn't do three things. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. What's the counsel of the wicked? But what's the counsel? Ah. So whoever this man is who's blessed, or this person is who's blessed, there's three things he don't do. One, he does not. He doesn't walk. 
in the advice of the wicked, what's the second thing he doesn't do? What's a scoffer? It's a word study. Meaning, meaning some of these words, you might be surprised how relevant words like a mocker or a scoffer is. You think, oh, yeah, some, some time, hundreds of years ago there were scoffers. No, 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 they exist right now. They're in your life. They're on Facebook. They don't have respect for people. They don't have respect for people. They delight to point out the flaws or the downfall or to give you the news or the information about someone else's problems. So there's a seat. There's sit. Isn't it interesting? Don't walk in the advice of the wicked and don't sit in the seat of scoffers. What does that mean? Evil judging. Scoffers are those who are sitting there in judgment of everyone else. And what's the third one? Oh, we missed the second one, didn't we? Stand in the way of sinners. We got it out of order. Well, now we're just, just going to have to switch the numbers to three and two, and it'll be okay. Stand in the what? What's the way? Yeah, but specifically this word way. Way is a path. Way is a road. It refers to a lifestyle. So the person that is blessed by God doesn't take the advice of wicked people, doesn't sit there and judge other people in the place of, can you believe what so-and-so did? And oh my word, did you hear about so-and-so? And does not stand in this path that everybody else on planet Earth seems to think is the normal way to live. But it's not the way to live. The, the lifestyle of the culture. Like Jesus says that the kingdom is a narrow path. He says narrow is the way, same word, to life. And only a few find it. But the way, but the way to destruction is broad. It's a superhighway. And many people go there. So if you follow the crowd, according to Jesus, if you follow the crowd, then you're living a lifestyle that's displeasing to God. But if you want to please God, you will be in a minority of people who are walking a different direction and a narrow path. So this Psalm 1 starts by saying, let's talk about who's blessed. Three things. You ain't blessed if you sit, stand, walk in the path, essentially of wickedness. But he specifies you can't be taking the advice of fools, morons, because you, you talk to them and you listen to their advice, you're going to end up with their fruit in your life. You run with fools, you're going to be a fool. You run with idiots, you're going to become an idiot. You listen to morons, you're going to become a moron. Don't sit in the seat of scoffers sitting around going, ooh, it's tasty to talk bad about these people. And don't walk in the lifestyle of the culture, but, but in contrast to this, what does the blessed, blessed man or woman of God do? It's the next verse. And this is, the, this is really the critical, this is the verse of the whole psalm. Everything else is just consequences, right? And what in the world 
is the law of the Lord. Yeah. God's commands, God's teachings, God's sayings, God's stories, God's promises, all of it. What else? So he's not doing these things, but instead of this stuff, notice these are all people, and then this is the Bible. That's really interesting too, isn't it? His delight is in the law of the Lord. And then what's the next part? Okay, what does that mean? What does it mean to meditate on God's law? Meditate, right? The word means to chew on or to mumble or to slightly groan. It's the same noise a lion makes while it's eating, according to the book, I, according to the little Hebrew dictionary I read today. It's the same thing a cow does while it's standing there chewing its cud. It's to mutter. It's to talk out loud. When you meditate on God's word, what you're doing is you're not just reading it. You're slowly digesting it the whole, all day long. It's what you go back to. You're, there, you, you, it, a person who's meditating on a thing is, is a person who's slowly working the thoughts over in their mind, trying to, to, to work out what it is. I find that this word, when we think of the word meditation in modern life, we think of Buddhist Zen meditation. We, this is what we think of. We think of this. Focusing on the sound of one hand clapping. I'm emptying myself of all thoughts. That is not biblical meditation. That's Eastern meditation. Biblical meditation is not emptying myself of all thoughts. Biblical meditation is filling myself with God's thoughts and talking to God about what he has said, talking to God about what he's done. It's, it's reading the Bible out loud and then talking to God about the details of what he says. And then sometimes you're going to say, hey, God, why did you say this? Why did you do this? And you won't know. You will have a question mark there. And you might keep a question mark there for 10 years before you ever even come into an understanding of it. But other times, it's just preaching to yourself. Or it's talking to God about what you've read, saying, God, you promised this, this, and this. And if that's true, then that means I'm going to have to trust you for that in my situation. Okay, but meditating on God's law means, if you're going to meditate on it when? Day and night. That means, will you read your Bible every day? Well, this, this guy is. I don't know if he's got a paper Bible back in the day, but there's some chunks of Bible truth that he's processing, even if he's not. Maybe every, maybe every Old Testament Hebrew didn't have a scroll in their tent, but he had some knowledge of God's story, and he had some memorized chunks of the word of God. Every Jew had the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Every Jew repeat, re repeated that out loud multiple times a day, every single day. But if you really loved the Lord, you would have spent some time back in then 
learning the scriptures from your local rabbi. And you, but nowadays we have this incredible reality called everybody's got opportunity for this or you got an app. So there's no excuses for the Christian to not know God's story, his promises, his ways, the prayers, the, the, the letters. And what this is saying, Psalm 1, blessed is the man who doesn't do this, take the advice of the wicked, sit in that evil judgment of scoffers or walk in this lifestyle of the culture. But instead of doing this, they have given themselves to make a divorce from those fools and have a love affair with a book. And that sounds weird, right? To, to delight. Doesn't say, hey, you guys should read your Bible. You really should read your Bible. That's not what it's saying. Blessed is the one who's what? Who's delight. They... This is, not a, this is not a duty to the person that's blessed. The person that's blessed, the heart that's blessed, this is a feast. This is, I'm coming here because I know that through this, I'm going to get to know who he is. Through this, I'm going to get to know what he's done. Through this, I'm going to get to understand his covenant and his grace and his goodness. God's laid hold of my life. I want to know who he is. And I'm going to lay hold of this because he's laid hold of me. And this is going to become a source of food that I'm going to chew on day and night. And if, it, if, if that happens, if this, if this book becomes my morning and evening like that, day and night, I don't think it means once in the morning, once in the evening. I think what it's trying to convey there is constantly, constantly. When I worked at the factory in Middlebury, Indiana, I took my little mini Bible with me and on lunch break, I had it open. Nowadays, you put in earbuds and be filling your heart with something if you're working with doing the dishes or something. Or if you can't sleep at night, talk to God. Don't just lay awake and worry. Talk to God. And sometimes, like we said earlier with the Lord's Prayer with the Our Father, we, we realize that Jesus wasn't giving us like things that we ought to do or should do if we're real spiritual. He was giving us essential tools if we're going to make it out alive because life's hard and it'll grind your heart and your love into a, into a bitter place. Meditates on God's word day and night and then what happens? What happens? And that's the verse. What, by the way, which number of verse is this? This one right here. So two is like the main deal. And everything else is consequences for the rest of it. So somebody, what's going to happen if we avoid that and we run after this? What's going to happen? Next verse. A tree. Why, why is that? What is that? First off, uh, that image conveys several things. The first thing it conveys is your... You're a, you're a tree, you're planted, that conveys immovability. And planted by what? Streams of water, which... But not rain. You can go through a drought, but you're planted by streams of water, which means that even in the middle of a drought, you, you have a supply. God is not seasonal. He's not here and then there. People are. People are, guys. 
Jesus, it says in John 12, for his, for his part, Jesus didn't entrust himself to people because he knew what was in the heart of a man. People are here today, gone tomorrow. They make promises and they don't keep them. But God, God keeps his word. God is faithful. He doesn't change. He says in one place, I'm not a man that I should lie or change my mind. So this one, not this one, look at this. The wicked people, scoffers people, sinners people. This guy's not putting his hope in or his fellowship in or his perspective from humans. This one's perspective and hope and everything else. It's in God, but God has made himself known somewhere. I said on Sunday, God's so great, we can't climb the mountain of knowledge to find him. That if we're going to know him, he has to make himself known. He has to break in, step into human history and act. And he has. And his people have written down their accounts of their experiences with God in this book. And he inspired their written accounts so that it wasn't just their experiences, it was him helping them convey it correctly. And as we're placing our heart in him, our relationship to him, people talk about, I love Jesus, but I hate the Bible. And we don't say that in this room, but I've heard it. I've had, I've had people say that to my face. They say, I love God, but I hate the Bible. Yeah, I've heard it. They say, I love, I love the God that I experience in our, in our prayers. He's so loving. But then I read the Bible, and it's some different God. And I go, oh, boy. My, what I said to that individual was, I'm deeply concerned about you because I've never met anyone who was baptized in the Holy Spirit who did not have a love and a hunger for the Bible. That concerns me about you. That you would react against the book the Holy Spirit wrote, but you would claim that you're filled with that same spirit? That's not, that's, that's not helpful. That sounds like the path to deception to me. Because if you say Jesus is your Lord, the test of his lordship is what role his word has then in your life. Lord is, he's, he's authority over me. So if you say Jesus is Lord, but but his word then is not authority over you. There's something broken, and the statement he is Lord is, is a lie. You can, tell, you can tell a lot. You can tell a lot about what, how someone actually is relating to Jesus by how they're relating to what his book says. And his book's not going to affirm the same ethics of our culture. It's not even going to affirm the same theology as a lot of the church. But the... the we're, we're called to submit to the Bible, not, not find a way to squeeze the Bible into our understanding. Does that make sense? And the parts of the Bible that offend us the most reveal us the most. Back in, okay, there's too many side rabbit trails, but this is a big deal. This is a very big deal. So his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on, his law, on, on God's, God's law, he meditates day and night, or she meditates day and night, and then what happens? He or she will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which what? Next verse. Fruit in season. Leaves don't wither. And then there's this big word. 
whatever he does prospers. Now, let me ask you this. Why? Why does the person whose delight is in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night, why does whatever they do prosper? I'm going to give at least two answers. The first one is God, God's blessing and pleasure are on them. And so God is actively working on their behalf. That's one reason everything they do prospers. But there's another reason. And the other one is God set up life to work a certain way. And just by doing it the way he set it up to work, they're not breaking everything. You see the two reasons why the person whose delight is in the law of the Lord is blessed? Because one, they actually have a sovereign God who orchestrates events working on their behalf. And two, they're not, they're not behaving in such a way as to foolishly destroy everything in their life. You get, you get why I'm saying both? But whatever he or she does prospers. You got something to say? Interesting, 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 strange interpretation. What translation is that? And what's the next part say? What's the next verse? Not so the wicked. What are the wicked compared to in your Bible? Chaff. What's chaff? How do you spell it? Is it just, is there an E on the end? What is Chaff. So it's a, it's a wheat image. So when you go to harvest wheat, you take the wheat, all the, all the heads of grain, and you put them on a big old pile, and you beat the crap out of it. And then when you're done beating the crap out of it, you throw it all in the air, and the wind carries away the chaff, which is garbage, just to be burned, and the kernels, which are dense and heavier, they fall back down. And you keep throwing it in the air, and the chaff blows away, and you're left with a bunch of wheat kernels on the ground. You gather those up and you take them to the millstone and you grind them into flour and you make bread and you eat. And what do you do with all the chaff? It's just waste. It's a byproduct. And he says, while the righteous, while the ones whose delight is in God, who are meditating on God's word night and day, who are in the Bible, talking to God about what they're finding in their Bible, they're preaching little sermons from their Bible to themselves while God's only one, the only one watching, they're talking to God about what he says in his book. No one's around. They shut their closet like Jesus said, and they get alone with his Bible because they have a romance that's happening in their, in their life. A romance. A romance between them and God. And they open the book and they go, okay, here we go. And they just read it and they just talk to God about it. And they preach little sermons to themselves that they would be embarrassed if anyone saw. Because they're like, I'm no world-class preacher. But it doesn't matter. What matters is that God's word then becomes their personal private property. And they write in their little Bible and they put notes in the margin and they underline the parts that really speak to them and they talk to God about them and sometimes they'll take them and they'll put a little note and they'll, on a three by five card and they'll tape it on their mirror or they'll put it on their dash of their car or they'll laminate it and put it in their pocket and they'll just come back to it because in the season they're in, this verse stuck out to them so much and they want to see it take on fruit in their life. 
Or it's a verse that their unsaved child is walking far from God and is denying everything they trained him to do. And they come across this verse where God was talking about the exiles of Israel who were in sin being brought home from the nations and planted back in the promised land. And God was going to be their God again, that they were going to return to the Lord. And they took that verse that was about Israelites who lived thousands of years ago. And they said, in my gut, that's what I want for my kid. And they claimed that verse and they said, uh-huh, and they wrote the date. And every Monday morning, those two women prayed together these verses from Jeremiah and Tim Miller came home because their delight was in the law of the Lord and they meditated on it and they muttered it and they didn't, they didn't give God rest till he did the verse that he had ignited in their spirit. You, are you with me? But the, but the, but the wicked... Their choices are dumb, destructive. They're on their third marriage. They can't seem to get themselves to care enough to stop drinking. They just use people, even if they're successful, they're just doing it for money because the wicked, the wicked they use people to make money. But the righteous, they use money to bless people. You see what I'm saying? Like, I'm not saying the righteous won't make money. I'm saying the motives. At the end of the day, we're going to die and God's going to take all the puzzle pieces and all the games and everything goes back in the box and we're left standing before Jesus. Is there anything here that he recognizes as his? If not, it's chaff. Do you see what I'm saying? And then it says, therefore, it talks about the judgment. Sinners ain't going to stand in the judgment. We all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account. Did we do his will? If our delight was in his word, he put it deep in us. It came from the inside out. It was planted in and it grew out and we bore good fruit. Jesus has tons to say about fruit and tons to say about heart. He also has tons to say about fakery, where the outside looks religious, but the inside is not. So he's real concerned about what do we love? What is, what is, our, what is our love affair with? It's just not enough to go to church, man. It's just not enough. Going to church is fun. It's helpful. But it's not enough to get enough Jesus deep down in here to where it's actually joy. What was, what was the one translation of blessed? Happy. I don't think you're going to get enough Jesus up in you to make you happy if all you do is just go to church. You have to, bec- you have to become the thing. The grace has to become like, ah, oh, Yes. The word has to become a feast, right? I love this psalm. This was the first psalm I think I memorized when I met Jesus. And then he ends with this one. For the Lord watches over or knows the way of the righteous. That word knows essentially has the, has the, has the implication of not just that he sees it. I'll see you there. I'll see you. It's not just that he knows and he gives you a wink. The Lord, the Lord is intimately involved in. He's walking with you in the way, the path. He's, he's, he's with you on the journey. It's, it's like Philippians 3, Paul talking about the fellowship. I want to know Christ. It says this word, know. The Lord knows the way, the path of the righteous. So Philippians 3, I'm going to forget everything else and I'm going to press on to know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection, becoming like him in his death, and so to to obtain the resurrection. 
but the way or path of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord, man. So the Bible, the word of God in 2020, it's a book where I think a lot of people think it's outdated, it's morally regressive, its view of men and women is wrong, it has slavery, it has genocide, it's racist, all the stuff people are going to say in 2020. And if we get offended and sidetracked by that stuff, we'll just miss the blessing that's there. We can, we can walk straight past what they say and go after what we know is that the God who has laid hold of our life is made known through his word. And if we can, if, if we can take the time to make that Bible your Bible, my Bible, church ain't enough, podcast is not the same, God... Praise God for podcasts. I love them. I listen to Tim Keller while I'm jogging and stuff. But it's not the same. It's not the same. And even, even just kind of reading it is not the same as this. This is a different word. When you're meditating about, on it, you're actually talking to God about what you're finding there. To me, that this is just Tim. I preach little sermons to myself. That's what I do from my book. When I'm doing that, I'm in a good place spiritually. When I'm just sitting quietly and reading and then doing my duty and moving on with my day, it's not getting in deep. It's not getting in deep. So I don't know what meditating looks like for you guys. I don't know what your version of vomiting back up from one of those stomachs if you're a cow and rechewing that cud, what that looks like. Because it's okay. If it, this is not about checking your pulse and being like, am I delighted in the, in the word of the Lord? Do I, do I have feelings about this? That's okay. Don't, don't worry about whether the feelings are there. But there's a, but there's a reason, there's a motive in what am, I, what am I after here? I used to say when I was headed out to my, my time with God each morning, I used to just say, I get to go meet with God. I get to go meet with God. And yeah, I, I think that's about all I want to say tonight. Just, there's just something, there's something here, man. It's like talk to God. When we learn how to pray... What is it? We just talk to God. Out I just think it's useful to talk to God out loud. Talk to God honestly out loud. And when you read your Bible, I think it's helpful to read it out loud. Read it out loud. Talk to him about it. Some of these passages are pretty easy to understand and some of them are hard. That's okay. Don't worry about what you, don't, worry about what you don't get. Worry about what you do. If you had a highlighter and I had you read just a whole page of John 17, just open your Bible to John 17, and you had a highlighter marker, and I said, anything that stands out to you as like, ooh, that's good, just highlight it quick. If you did that, I think every single person right here would say, oh yeah. And some of you would just be like, the whole thing is good. That's the Holy Spirit talking to you. It really is. We over-spiritualize the, the voice of the Lord too much. You know? We, even, even the phrase, the Lord told me, in some, in some circles, that gets like, ooh, that's normal. It's normal for the Lord to highlight a verse. Uh, one of my mentors, he was like, not sure he was a Christian. He felt like all he was was a cultural believer. Like he felt like, and he's an intellectual, and he wasn't a very emotional person. So one day he was sitting there. 
he was a school teacher. He was sitting there at school and he was reading his Bible while the kids were studying or whatever. And all of a sudden he realized that he was reading the Bible as though it applied to him. It was written to Christians. He was reading an epistle. So it was written to Christians and he realized, I'm reading this as though God is saying it to me. And all of a sudden he realized that's the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a feeling. It wasn't a religious experience. It wasn't a a powerful encounter. It was a very subtle, very quiet, but real work of the Lord to let him know, this is what I'm saying to you, Conrad. And like it hit him. And then he got emotional. Then he realized, I'm in. I'm in. Romans 8 says that God's spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are God's children. There was that inner witness of the spirit. And like I said, I said it a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about how the, this book was inspired not just when it was written, but God inspires us as we read it. Otherwise, it would still just be a written word and it needs to become living word again. The only way it can become living word is if God re-inspires it. Just add water, you're right? The, uh, the freeze-dried stuff, <laughs> you just add water. This is kind of like freeze-dried word of God. You need the water. You need the water of the spirit in a heart that says, make it living word again. Make it not what you said, but what you're saying again. Okay, guys, that's, that's probably enough. Questions, comments, scathing accusations. Have you had any success meditating on the word? Or is it like a scary concept? Do you think you need a seminary education to do it? No. Don't compare yourself to how God talks to others. Yeah. When, when, I, was, when I went to India, well, okay, I'm a baby Christian. I would just read the Bible in English and talk to God about it. And I would kind of get swept up preaching these little sermons to myself. And because I, I wasn't a pastor and nobody was really asking me to preach. So, but I had sermons in me that needed to get out. So the angels heard a bunch of sermons and my parents' garage heard a bunch of sermons. I can tell you some sermons I preached to nobody in their garage from the book of Hebrews, specifically Hebrews chapter 10. There's a verse in there that says, by one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. I think I cussed in that one. You know what I mean? Because it's just too good. You didn't, I'm, I'm a baby Christian. I don't know. My, I don't, the strongest language I have, like Jesus has made me perfect forever, even though I'm still in the process of being made like him. What are you talking about? I'm never falling away, buddy. Like it's just, ah. Oh. Though, like, so then I went to college and seminary, learned the languages, got all the school stuff. It didn't make it all that much better. If anything, I had to survive that stuff. The, I would, there, my personal time with God suffered during seminary and college because I was doing what the teachers were making me do, which was the scholarly intellectual stuff and the papers and the research. So you know what suffered? The heart stuff. 
the heart stuff suffered. So I was sitting in a restaurant making food for teachers, but not eating. And I thought I lost my faith. So I just want to let you know you're not disadvantaged to not go to seminary and have a master's of divinity or whatever. Like, I don't, I'm sure it helped me in some way. I don't know. I I felt, my wife says it helped me. (laughs) But I'm telling you, the the same old stuff I had right away is still the stuff that feeds my soul right now. His still small voice, the Bible read in plain English, and just talking to God a lot. That's what, you can do that. That's why Dan Muller is who he is. He didn't go to college and seminary, and I bet you there's a lot of professors all over the world that would take notes listening to him preach, going, I'm taking this and I'm going to teach my kids, my students this. This is amazing. Where did he get this? And Dan will tell you. Sitting on my bed with my Bible open, talking to God about what it says. And he'll even tell you, I've heard this and this and this in the church today. That's not what Jesus told me in the bedroom. That's a strange phrase, right? But that just means his bedroom is his prayer closet. For me, it was out on the outside pacing and out under the stars talking to God. But these, bo- these Bible books, like when I say the word Galatians, your heart ought to go, oh, Galatians. Because you, you, you should have a love affair with Galatians. When I say Colossians, you should go, whew. You're going to get me all stirred up, Tim. And I go, Hebrews chapter 4. And you go, whoa, that's talking about rest. That's talking about entering into the Lord's rest. Ooh. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? And by the way, when I'm saying should, I'm not putting guilt on you. I'm saying this is supposed to be your Bible. Not Pastor Tim's Bible, not Grandpa so-and-so's Bible. Your Bible. And you can, you can do this because it's not about smarts. It's not. It's really not about smarts. It's just about heart. It's just about you want to romance with Jesus. Okay. My wife's funny. When she reads the Bible just a short amount of time, she gets more out of it than when I read the Bible for a long amount of time. But she grew up in the church, which means she has religious uh, guilt associated with daily devotions. And so early in our marriage, I noticed that whenever she just spent a little bit of time in the Bible, it was like, God would give her all this stuff. And then I would be like, man, that's awesome. And I was, I'd be like, hey, you know, you really ought to, I haven't seen you read your Bible in like weeks. You should read your Bible. And then out would come this, like she would feel super judged and attacked when I said that. And so I learned, don't say that. Don't do it. But was I judging and attacking? No, that's the religious thing that she grew up with. And in more recent years, as she's grown in the love of God and in the grace of God, she no longer has that guilt associated with this book. Some of us, have to, we, we got stuff we need to get rid of that's emotional baggage we're bringing to this thing that's causing it not to be out of delight, but out of duty. And if we miss a day, we feel guilty. Guys, I don't feel guilty if I miss a day. I don't feel guilty at all. But it does affect me negatively. But it's a sneaky negative effect, like not eating or not drinking. If you don't drink water, nobody comes around and yells at you and says that you're bad. You just get thirsty. If you don't eat food, no one comes into your room and and puts shame on you. Shame on you for not doing that. No, you just get hungry. That's how it should be with the Bible. Got to strip away this religious nonsense to get down to the romance that this is meant to be for us. 
Because some of us are allergic to the book because of the way we think about it. I don't know if I'm talking to anyone or what, but I now, I, now this time I mean it. What time you got? 8.16. Should we pray? Holy Spirit, we thank you for the word. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you, God, for the voice. We thank you for the spirit. And we ask, God, that some of the stuff we talked about tonight would be a reminder for us to be, that we have been invited to the feast of intimacy, that we've been invited to sit with you and let your words search us out, clean us out, fill us up, inspire us, challenge us, redirect us, that we get, we're invited to, to a romance with you, God, and that you've promised some pretty substantial things. If we'll delight in you, if we'll prioritize you and your presence, and your word, and chew on it, and talk to you about it, and explore it with you. You've given us a wildly overwhelming promise that you will bless us. That our way, that our path will be divinely blessed, that we will be attended to. That it's like a hand will go before us and prepare the way, and another hand will steady our heart and strengthen us. And we'll be like trees, unmoved by the storms of life, unshaken by the decisions of undependable people because our hearts invested in the dependable God that doesn't lie. We ask, God, that these things would would be so in our lives and that we would stand at the judgment with no fear, no fear of punishment as we think about the judgment because our lives have been really and truly lives of fellowship with you, Jesus. God's people said, man, I'm telling you, like, when I get away from talking out loud, when I, when I get away from praying out loud, this is just Tim talking, because you might be quiet in your prayer time. Some people's quiet times are quiet. I'm minor loud. When I get away from out loud talking to God and pacing and walking around with my door shut and no one around and talking it out, talking it out, And when I get away from like preaching to myself from what I'm reading, when I do those two things, you'd think I've gone to some sort of charismatic conference and had hands laid on me, but I haven't. I've just gone to the thing that I'm made for in the daily basis, you know? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with going to any any conferences. I'd encourage you to (laughs) to go to conferences as a spiritual discipline. He wants us together, but he also wants us one on one. He wants both. If every one of us had a week where we were really faithful to sit in his presence and hear his voice, hear his word, and obey what he said, just for one week, if every single one of the individuals that make up this little group did that faithfully for one week, then the next weekend, something would shift in the atmosphere. We would be coming with a different heart. I think we would come with something to give away. Then I'm going to try to yeah, that's true. spread that. You know what I mean? So come no matter. Others. So come as you are. Yeah. But if every single week you're dragging your limp yeah. corpse in here to yeah. help me, I, I, say, oh, I, boy, I you need to drink all week, buddy. But, yeah, I do, I do think that, though. I think that, that something amazing happens corporately when there's individual health. If I've said anything tonight that has created a comparison in your heart toward me, in Jesus' name, we lift it off right now. You don't have to do it out loud or take a walk the way, you don't have to yell or get excited like I do. 
You be you. You be exactly who you're called to be. I was just expressing how I do it because I don't know how else to do it. If I had a better way, I'd tell you that way. But this is what, this is what I do, you know. But you be you, all right? <laughs>